Hi, this is Beth's Mum with Mum Talks, and today you're listening to Kelly Pollock on the How To Podcast. Did you know Shirley Chisholm, a New York Democrat, became the first African-American woman to serve in Congress in 1968, and the first African-American to seek the nomination for President of the United States from one of the two major political parties. She introduced more than 50 pieces of legislation and championed racial and gender equality, the plight of the poor and ending the Vietnam War. Hey, you're listening to the How To Podcast with your host and me, Beth Evans. Join me for a special series in which I investigate the feminist movement and political landscape in the United States. So change into those comfies, cosy up with your favourite drink and hear from the women changing the face of politics, one podcast episode at a time. This season, I'm speaking with women hosting political podcasts in the United States about their conversations with female candidates and activists, the need to increase political participation, and why we need more women everything. On this episode, I'm joined by Kelly Therese Pollock, host of the Two Broads Talking Politics podcast and part of the Demcast podcast network, working to cultivate grassroots digital media and bolster blue electoral and policy victories at all levels of the government across America. Kelly is the Dean of Students at the University of Chicago, facilitating admissions and financial aid at the division. She is an active political speaker and uses her voice to communicate with campaigns and help students understand how they can become involved in local politics and why it's important to be politically engaged. She's also the co-host of the Vote Her In podcast that seeks to inspire and inform more women to be politically engaged and help elect more women into political office. Okay. Um thank you for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to to talk to you. Um so tell me about you and what inspired you to start a political podcast. So uh yeah, I'm I haven't always been super involved in politics. I've always been interested in uh politics and uh you know, I think I was uh, I was in grad school during 9/11, uh, you know, and that sort of made everybody in uh, the U.S. I think sort of think a lot about politics and America and patriotism and what all of that meant. Uh, but George W. Bush was president, uh, and that you know I think was sort of a frustrating time for uh, for Democrats, for progressives like me. And after the 2004 election, when uh, George W. Bush won again, that, you know, made it uh, 
uh, it was sort of a moment that a lot of us just kind of were like, uh, I'm disgusted and let go. Uh, the election, sorry, there's a lot of noise in this house. <laughs> the election of uh, Obama was a, a great moment. Uh, and I'm, I live in Chicago, right near where uh, Obama lived in Chicago. Uh, but then I think we all sort of said, okay, great, we won and stopped paying attention again. Uh, so it wasn't really until 2016 with uh, the candidacy of Hillary Clinton, which was very exciting to me, uh, and then the the win by Trump that I really felt like, you know what, I haven't been doing enough. I've been taking things for granted. I need to be thinking more about politics and just started following it much more closely and decided I had to do something, that it wasn't enough to just sort of follow along uh, passively, that I needed to be actively involved. Uh, and I found myself just wanting to sort of think about and talk about politics constantly mm. uh, and much more than my uh, husband wanted to. <laughs> and so uh, my friend Sophie also wanted to much more than her husband wanted to. Uh, and that's sort of how the the podcast was born. Great. Okay. So you've had some incredible guests on your show already this year you've spoken with janelle wong representative gwen moore uh rhonda briggins anna shanti gola who have actually interviewed earlier today she was lovely and she also told me to say hi oh, <laughs> <to you>. excellent <laughs> um what are your aims for the podcast and what kinds of conversations can we expect from two broads talking politics yeah, so a lot of our uh, our aims, uh, you know, ultimately what we want is to get more Democratic women elected. <laughs> that, yeah. That's sort of the, the primary aim, uh, and we can't do that all by ourselves, obviously. Uh, so to, to get a lot of people uh, thinking and talking uh, about politics in ways that uh, is you know, relatively uh, intelligent and uh, is uh, researched and thoughtful, uh, but is also accessible. Uh, and so in a way that a lot of, uh, not just women, there, there are men who listen as well, but, uh, but especially women, especially moms, uh, can, can really understand and can get excited about different things within uh, politics in the political sphere in America. Uh, and so that's a lot of our goal. Uh, we tend to take sort of the quote unquote off years in election cycles. Uh, so like this one, like 2021, uh, of course there are still elections going on, but uh, take that to sort of take a step back, think about broader issues, talk to people who are running organizations, think about uh, aspects of racism and sexism that are so prevalent in our culture. And then uh, the years, so we've been going since 2017. So years like 2018, 2020, and then 2022 will be very much the same. Will be a lot of talking to candidates on the ground and organizations that are working specifically on elections um, because that will become so important. Have you ever had um, any listeners sort of message you or contact you and say, hey, like since listening to your podcast, I've now got, you know, way more involved in my community, um, you know, the, the politics work in my community or movement work, um, or even, you know, I'm, I'm going to run for, from, for office. Like, has anyone contacted you saying that? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if anyone has run for office specifically because of listening, although we've had listeners then run for office, I, I certainly people have gotten ideas about 
you know, I think people who come to our podcast want to be involved anyway, but it has uh, has helped them figure out how to get involved, mm. uh, figure out what they could be doing, which organizations they could be supporting. Uh, we've certainly had people who even just uh, have reached out and said, wow, I'd never heard of that candidate and I just gave them money because I heard them on your podcast. So mm. yeah, it has certainly, you know, uh, again, none of these things happen in a vacuum. So it's not like yeah. just listening to our podcast was the, yeah. the thing that changed them. Um, but sure, I think it has certainly helped uh, at least focus activism. So you were discussing before that you're a mother, which I love because I love to talk to my mum about the politics and everything. We kind of get a bit heated actually sometimes <laughs> and we're like behind our screens like, no, we need to do more. So on your podcast Twitter bio, it says progressive feminist Midwestern um, mums interview candidates, activists and authors across the country, which is amazing. So you're also the Dean of the Students Office at the University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. How does your work and being a feminist Midwestern mum play into your podcast aims and who you choose to interview? Yeah, so I think my my work is, uh, it's, it's certainly not completely unrelated, but it's also not closely related to uh, to the podcast. They're officially separate, uh, completely separate entities. That said, I'm clearly drawn to the social sciences in general. So that is the uh, division in which I work at the University of Chicago. Mm -hmm. uh, and, the, you know, social sciences includes both uh, political science, uh, also includes history. Uh, and I just recently launched another podcast that's uh, history focused. Uh, and so that that way of looking at the world, that way of thinking about what is going on around us, uh, analyzing on the basis of social scientific research is something that's really compelling to me. And I think, I, you know, I don't often uh, have a direct connection. I, I have, I think, once or twice interviewed somebody probably two or three times actually now, uh, interviewed someone who is an alum of the Division of the Social Sciences, okay. uh, who happens to work in you know politics or history or something that is, is related to the fields of uh, two broads talking politics uh, and have happened to know them because of that. Uh, that's It's generally not that kind of connection, but I think I, I have a certain comfort level in talking to academics in, uh, you know, I myself am not a, a professor, I'm an administrator, uh, but I, I sort of get the, the translation work so I can talk to academics about their work uh, and, and translate it to something that the, the listening audience uh, will understand and, and will grasp and will, will relate to. And so I, you know, I, I've never shied away from having political scientists on the show or even looking at academic books, uh, you know, and thinking about those on the podcast. So, you know, there's not a, a completely direct relationship um, between my work and the podcast, uh, but certainly, you know, it, it both of them inform <laughs> the other parts yeah. of my life. Uh, and being a mom has been hugely influential on the, the kind of things, um, certainly the kind of subjects in politics that interest us. Uh, the kinds of focus, uh, you know, we've talked to um, people like uh, Gretchen Luba Shirley a few times about the importance of uh, especially moms of young children, but parents at all being able to run for office, uh, what it looks like to get childcare when you are running for office, uh, you know, and, and those sorts of topics 
have really meant a lot. And then my kids themselves have very often been involved in the the podcast itself uh, and have have been instrumental in the the kinds of issues that I think are important. I would think climate change was important anyway, but certainly having raising the next generation that is going to face the effects of climate change even more makes that you know a really compelling topic for me. So uh, so that has certainly uh, been very influential. I um I listened to quite a few episodes with Teddy and Arthur introducing, and I think that's so cute. I played them for my parents because they're like, "Do you remember when Josh was this small, like my nephew?" And it's so cute, and it's um <laughs> it's such a nice quality to add to a podcast. I think that makes it quite personal, and you know, also just quite fun. You know, it's just it's fun. It's little, it's cute little, a little guy, a little dude, like introducing, and it's you know sometimes when you're putting a podcast together you're thinking well I don't want it to sound like everyone else this is my podcast you know so it's yeah. um it's great to hear things like that um so do you ever get any of your students you know message you and say like I want to get involved or you know how involved are they do they listen to the podcast or I think there are probably students who listen I I have tried to sort of uh, keep a, a wall between those things yeah. uh, in a way because I don't ever want students to feel either feel compelled like they're supposed to listen or uh, or feel like we'll have a different kind of relationship if they uh -huh. do listen. Uh, so uh, I, I've kept a little bit of a wall, but it's it's also not a, a secret. They you know there it's uh, I'm very public about it. My uh, my boss, the dean of the division, certainly knows that I do a podcast, and she is fine with that. Uh, you know, in general, academia tends to be uh, fairly open to a wide range of viewpoints, and and so uh, it's it's not a, a secret. But I also uh, try not to sort of put it in the face too much of my students. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know that gender representation in the United States and probably across the world actually is slowly growing um it's still growing which is a good thing but i think um you know last year's elections was, was great because a record number of women you know including women of color now serve in congress because so many um so many of us have have uh, you know have run for well i haven't but women in general have run for office so what do you think are some of the factors that led to this increase increase in women running for and being elected to political office I, so it's uh it's no secret when you talk to women who are running for office that uh, the election of donald trump was uh, very instrumental uh, for all sorts of reasons uh one of those just sort of uh, the disgust <laughs> at, at uh, trump in in his view of women and his treatment and and his discussion of women um but also seeing a woman like hillary clinton who's so accomplished so smart you know you could not have a presidential candidate be more prepared uh, than she was and yet have her lose to someone who had literally no political experience at all yeah you know really i think made people think hey we've got to change this and maybe mm. the way we change that is me stepping up and running and mm. uh, so i think that was part of it i think there's also a certain uh, you know, there's common wisdom that if you want a woman to run for office, you need to ask her like eight or 10 times before she'll do it, sometimes more. I, frankly, I've probably been asked way more than 10 times and I still haven't run for office. And, uh, you know, so I think that there was uh, 
both this idea that women who think, well, I'm not possibly qualified, saw a man who was uniquely unqualified and unprepared and said, well, okay, fine. If he can do it, then I can run for something. I can run for school board if Trump can be president. So that was part of it, but also this explosion of organizations, uh, some of which already existed prior to 2016, some of which uh, came about after 2016, but all of which grew and grew in uh, funding and uh, people interested in them that were specifically about training women or training young people or training LGBTQ folks or training people of color to run for office. Right. Uh, and so all of that uh, led to a lot more, uh, a lot more people thinking about running a lot more people actually running and a lot better support for the people who were running for office that they had support in thinking about how to do it, um, that they had organizations that were giving them financial support, uh, which is crucial in running for office in this country. Uh, so all of those things, I think, uh, sort of came together to, to contribute uh, to this and just frankly, some incredible women who were running for office themselves. And so uh, it's uh, was no should have been no surprise that they were then elected people like Lauren Underwood, who's a, a congresswoman in Illinois, uh, you know, are just these uh, amazing, amazing legislators. And, uh, you know, it's great that they finally felt that they could do that and, and stepped up and did it. Do you think that um, women hosted podcasts, I mean, they're on the rise um, and have been for the last couple of years. Do you think that they have had any part in helping at least, you know, listeners, whether it be um, well, anyone really, just be more aware of female candidates and, and how equal they can be to the task? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't have any way to sort of quantify what the effect might be, um, but I I do think you know, whatever effect my own little slice of it may be, I think that in general, they do have an effect uh, in part because women-led podcasts are more likely to feature women candidates. And so they just get more exposure. Uh, we have, uh, especially in years like 2018, have often been the very first interview that uh, a woman candidate might do. And so before she, you know, goes on a bigger, you know, like her, her local radio station or something, you know, we're a sort of friendly place to, to get a start, to get a sense for what it's like to talk into a microphone and answer questions and, and do that in a way that you know is, is supportive. We're not trying to knock anybody down. Even when we have interviewed multiple people running in the same primary, you know, we're just there to have conversations and get the information out. And we're not going to tell our listeners who they should or shouldn't support. And so it's a it's a comfortable experience, I think. And uh, I do think that that has uh, at least some effect. You know, like I said, I can't quantify it, um, but I I think that there. Uh, there is some effect and it also just, you know, among the people who listen. So women are going to more, you know, potentially feel more comfortable listening to podcasts run by women, uh, especially because podcasts run by women tend to be less uh, confrontational, less screamy than sometimes the, you know, especially in politics than the, the podcast run by men. Uh, and so I think, you know, if more women are, are listening, are, uh, 
know about the issues, are well informed about candidates and about issues that lets them be more comfortable participating in general. So, you know, I think it it sort of all rolls together, but um, but certainly I think there has been some effect. So you've discussed, you know, just connecting to that, you've discussed some issues that, well, issue, all issues that women face daily, like equality, sexism, racism. I think you, I believe that you're still fighting for reproductive rights, which is just crazy. Um, and the pay gap, obviously. Um, how do you feel conversations with female candidates around these sort of issues? Um, play a role in encouraging more women to participate politically and how important do you think these conversations are? I think that the conversations in general uh, are pretty important. I think that it's a very common refrain uh, to say, well, that's just identity politics and, you know, you should vote for the best candidate, not the person who's a woman or the, you know, the person who's a person of color. And I think that as you have uh, more and more of these conversations, certainly I have found uh, that as I have had these conversations, that it becomes so strikingly obvious why it is important to have representation, why identity politics is actually very important. And yes, you want the best person, quote unquote, for the job. But part of being the best person for the job is being able to represent your constituents. And part of being able to represent your constituents is having the same lived experience that they have. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you have a a Congress full of rich white men, of course, they're not going to understand what it means to uh, be breastfeeding a baby, you know, that like, there are just certain things that they won't understand. And can still be sympathetic to. I by no means mean to suggest that, you know, all white men are completely, uh, you know, uh, opposed to the idea of uh, reproductive justice or something. But, you know, I think they just don't have those experiences. And so when you see someone like uh, Senator Tammy Duckworth from Illinois, who's my senator, uh, you know, she realized as she was traveling back and forth to the Senate and had a small baby and, you know, thought about things like how do you pump in an airport and you know how do you where do you breastfeed how do you uh you know can you bring a baby under the floor of the u.s senate which she realized when she herself had a small baby you know like these these things just don't uh come up until Mm -hmm. there are people in the room who have experienced those things and so uh, i think that having these conversations helps you realize that helps you think about uh, who can even run. Uh, So one thing that I had no idea before I started this podcast is that in a lot of states, the state legislators uh, are either maybe not paid anything to be a state legislator or are paid a very, very small amount of money. But it's a basically full-time job for at least part of the year. And so the only people who could ever run were people who were either independently wealthy or who had the kind of job like real estate or something that you could maybe just put on hold for a couple months and then pick it back up. And I had no idea about that. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners had no idea about that. And you realize how there are, it's not just that men happen to be the ones in Congress, in the state legislators, but there were entire systems set up to keep it that way. And maybe not on purpose, but they were set up to keep it that way. And if you don't know about those things, you can't change them. Mm. And so just having the conversations helps 
transform the society and you know more people are thinking about issues more people are doing something about issues or talking about it and so you know i guess all of these things i'm i'm saying basically have a, a snowball of lots of things coming together uh, and this is certainly one of them so perspectives is definitely something that candidates you know whoever they are whoever they you know represent um wherever in america they need to be aware that you know from the female perspective and you know they need to be respectful i guess right it's yeah you know like even if you have a male candidate i suppose that he needs to he needs to be respectful of like you said if you have um a representative who's a, a, a new mother how how is she supposed to um you know she can't just leave her child like how is she supposed to pump wherever she is because you know, I was watching um, a documentary recently and about sort of how, how, how mums are just kind of just going back into work and just doing everything, but also seeing how they're just, they should be allowed to. Um, still, we're still working on it in the UK where, you know, mothers aren't, it's like a taboo subject that you're not allowed to feed your child out in public. And it's like, how would you even do that in a political sphere, you know, where you've got a ratio yeah. that isn't equal and you've got men staring at you and you just kind of, you should feel comfortable, right? In in your workplace, in life and in everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think it was in Kirsten Gillibrand's autobiography, maybe. I, I don't know. I've read a whole bunch of these, but I... In one of them, they were talking about how the in the U.S. Senate, mm. there was like a men's bathroom right near the the Senate chamber, and then the women's restroom was like way across in another building or something. And like you don't, if there were no women there, there'd be no reason to even think about that. Of course not. And it's not until you start to bring women uh, or all sorts of diverse constituencies into the governing process that you realize just how unfairly things are set up. Mm. Kind of makes you think that that toilet was there before the female toilet <laughs> because we've only just started getting candidates, female candidates, yeah. you know, and representatives in, in the office in the Senate and, you know, and the importance of putting it across from each other or just having a communal toilet, you know, where you can just be in a private space, really. Um, okay. <laughs> so let's talk about the 2020 presidential election and specifically the, the vote her in series, mm -hmm. which highlights female candidates running for office. Um, so I know that you, uh, you host the series and it's, I'm due to interview Rebecca Sive as well. So mm -hmm. she's the author, isn't she, of, um, vote her in your next representative your guide to electing our first woman president yeah <laughs> yeah um so i know that so you host it and then she introduces the guests is that right <laughs> i don't want to just yeah so uh so it uh rebecca came to me with the idea for uh for this series which i think we have nearly 70 episodes in that series now yeah. and uh i had interviewed rebecca previously uh toward the beginning of uh, Two Broads Talking Politics about her first book, Every Day is Election Day. Yep. And then I interviewed her again uh, when she wrote Vote Her In, uh, and she uh, was local, so a lot of our interviews are done remotely, but I was able to talk to her in person in Chicago. Uh, and she came to me then with the idea that Vote Her In would make a, a good series uh, of podcast episodes uh, within Two Broads Talking Politics. 
And so we started doing that and uh, the Vote Her In series then is a collaboration. So it's uh, it's hosted within the, the Two Broads Talking Politics podcast feed, um, but she and I are the you know collaborators in this series of episodes. So you've talked to Elena Beverly, Laura Goose, Laura Washington, Heidi Stevens, just to name a few. Uh, what are your aims for listeners hearing these conversations and why is it important for women in America and everyone in America to, to hear them? Yeah, so the, uh, the idea behind the book Vote Her In uh, and then the, the beginning of the, the series uh, was about you know why why haven't we had a woman president yet uh, in this country and this all of course uh, the book came out and this series started before uh, we at least had a women woman vice president which we now have in Kamala Harris uh, and you know it it was sort of looking at why why don't we why haven't we why do we need one and uh, you know and how do we get there. And one thing that is important about the construction of American politics is we have these different branches of the government and the legislative branch, so the Senate and the House, uh, is essentially completely separate from the executive branch, which is the president. Uh, and so unlike a parliamentary system where it you know, might be somebody from within the legislative body who becomes the head, it's a completely separate election, it's a completely separate type of role. And women had been and have been making great strides in the legislative branch. So lots of women becoming representatives, US senators, we're still nowhere near parity, but at least making good progress. And the same is true in state legislators. And in, in fact, there are some state legislators in the United States that are more than 50% women. But women have not been making as great strides in executive branches. So presidency, obviously, up until this year, vice president, uh, but also things like uh, governors of states, mayors of cities. And so that was one of the things uh, that Rebecca wanted to look at in the book and that we wanted to look at uh, in this podcast series was, you know, what what does it take to be an executive? What does that mean? Why have women not been as successful in that venture? What would it mean for women to be more successful uh, in executive branch? Uh, and so that has been one of the things we've looked at uh, in this series, uh, and then also just women running uh, for office in general, uh, which uh, obviously is important, no matter at what level and in which branch, you know, it's all it's all important. Uh, and then just more uh, sort of beyond that is just uh, issues that affect women and girls in this country. And, uh, you know, in various ways that we can look at that. And so that has even included a series of things like talking to women artists uh, about artwork that you know maybe has some effect uh, on uh, certain issues or people who are philanthropists or authors who are talking about women's issues uh, and so that uh, although two broads talking politics is uh, you know overtly feminist and, and focuses a lot on women it's not specifically about women per se. Uh, well, the Vote Her In series is every guest of Vote Her In has been a woman and has been very targeted at women's issues. Do you think there will ever be an election where you've got two women, two powerhouses here at the end fighting for the presidency? I've, I've never seen that. And I don't think I've ever seen it in any film or anything that they've made up for a story, but I just wondered do you think that will ever happen or is that a dream? I 
I do actually. I think uh, we might see it as soon as 2024, uh, in part uh, because I think that uh, the Republican Party understands uh, that there would be a certain value for them electorally to yeah. uh, to really promote their women, uh, and uh, that that could be one of the reasons that the Democratic Party has had success over the past four years or so, let's say, is because of women voters, uh, specifically women voters in the suburbs right. in the U.S., and that the Republicans could potentially peel back some of those women voters if they, too, were running a woman candidate. Uh, and so really, that's a, a big part of the reason that Sarah Palin was the vice presidential nominee for the Republican Party in uh, 2008. And uh, I would not be at all surprised to see somebody like uh, Nikki Haley, let's say, who's a, a prominent Republican, being one of the next nominees uh, for the Republican Party. Now, there's a tension there because uh, the Republican Party is uh, in certainly in the past few decades not been particularly friendly to women or women's policies or reproductive rights. Uh, so there is a tension there. But uh, I would not be surprised at all if for political reasons, the Republicans actually do put up a woman as their their nominee. And so you might see that. You might see Kamala Harris and Nikki Haley as the nominees, for instance, in 2024. Yeah, definitely. I think I think there's a lot changing in America. There's a lot changing in the world. And, you know, I think it's a good thing to to show equality and to make make these steps towards a you know, a new future, really. Um, so I want to talk specifically about two episodes um, from your 2020, se uh, 2020 series during that election. So you spoke with Representative Deb Harland about Biden's climate change plan in um, back in October uh, 2020 last year and Democratic candidate Caroline, is it Bordeaux? Am I saying it right? Bordeaux? Okay, good. Um, about female leadership, equal pay, and her campaign with Stacey Abrams. Do you believe these conversa conversations help listeners become more politically engaged during events like the, the US election? And if so, is this one of your podcast aims? Yeah, I think so. Uh, so Deb Holland is uh, one of my favorite people ever that I have ever interviewed. I've, I've interviewed her twice now and I've met her as well. Uh, she is now in the U.S. cabinet, so an executive position. Uh, she's the uh, Secretary of the Interior, which is a phenomenal first Native American uh, to be in a U.S. cabinet. Uh, so it's just a really terrific. Uh, and I I wanted to talk to her uh, in the lead up to the election, in part because uh, you know there's this. Uh, uh, sort of tension in the Democratic Party in America between the sort of far left, the progressive wing of the party, and uh, Biden is thought of as more centrist, uh, you know, likes to get bipartisan things done. And uh, Deb Holland, uh, now Secretary Holland, is uh, a committed progressive. She's, you know, uh, not not as far left as you can be, but pretty far left, uh, had uh, uh, endorsed Elizabeth Warren in the primary, in the Democratic primary. Uh, and so I wanted to talk to her uh, in part because of that, in part because I think that uh, it, it was important to highlight the ways in which 
even people who are very far left, uh, and especially someone who is so committed to uh, to the environment and to um, you know improving uh, climate, uh, yet was a a strong advocate for uh, in surrogate for Joe Biden. And so I thought that that was really important uh, to look at. And uh, Deb Holland was also uh, a single mom. She had raised her daughter, uh, you know, had was on welfare when she was raising her daughter, had to start, I think, like a salsa business to make enough money. And then was, uh, she was like cleaning the school that her daughter went to to get in a like to get tuition like she's just just incredible life story mm-hmm. uh and uh now isn't it incredible uh cabinet secretary so i i think that her both her life story but also even more her passion her obvious uh she just knows everything there is to know about uh climate change and about uh, the important things that we can do in legislation. And she's so passionate about it. And it was really uh, important for me. I mean, look, I was going to vote for Joe Biden anyway, right? Like I'm a, I'm a Democrat. There was no, no question, but it was people like her who made me realize how important electing Biden was uh, for things like getting legislation, even really progressive legislation through and getting policies that were important in getting uh, representation in the cabinet. And, you know, that was going to be so important. And uh, and how important having uh, Biden and having a Democratic House and Senate is for women and for women's issues. And so I do think that someone like Deb Holland is so crucial to talk to because of all of that, because she really does help move the conversation and not just in a sort of dry academic way, but in, you know, really, I I said passion before, but it is her passion that really helps you feel like this is important and I'm going to fight and I'm going to do everything that Deb Holland tells me to do. And so I, I do think that anyone listening to that is gonna sort of come away with that, like, okay, now I'm fired up and this is an important election and mm-hmm. I'm gonna get involved. Uh, and I think, you know, the the interesting thing with Carolyn Bordeaux, uh, well, two interesting things. One is that that was the only house race in the entire country in 2020 uh, that flipped from Republican control to Democratic control. Uh, it was, although Democrats retained control of the house, it wasn't a super great election for Democrats in uh in the house and going into 2022 is really a kind of scary prospect uh, for democrats i think uh, but she flipped her seat and uh not just uh flipped her seat but she flipped it after having run the second time so she had right. previously run in the same district uh had not won and then came back and did it all again and running for office is hard running for mm-hmm. congress is just it's like a full-time job and uh, I can easily imagine getting to the end of it and going, well, that's it. I'm never doing that again. <laughs> and she didn't. She said, I'm going to stay. I'm going to fight. I'm going to fight for these issues that I know are important. Uh, Georgia is changing rapidly, has been changing rapidly, uh, not in part just demographics, in part because of the organizing work of Stacey Abrams. And so Carolyn Bordeaux saw that and capitalized on it and and fought for it and flipped that seat. Uh, And so I think that 
we often talk to people who lose their races. I mean, that's just a, a fact, yeah. you know, we talk to candidates sometimes who are very long shot that no one else is going to talk to. And we think their stories are important, um, but they don't always win. Mm -hmm. But it is meaningful uh, to talk to candidates who do then win. That mm -hmm. helps uh, keep listeners, keep people involved to see that there are successes too. And so that is... Uh, part of why someone like Carolyn Bordeaux is so important is because you can then see that it worked. <laughs> we won. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, yeah, I, I think that those were uh, those are good conversations to highlight because they were both, I think, really important in related, but um, but their own separate ways as well. So you're talking about passion and hearing sort of journeys with both these um, conversations that you've had. Do you <laughs> think that do you think that that makes your listeners, or do you think that changes the way your listeners feel about doing political activities and being more, more engaged, you know, like voting? Yeah, I think so. You can't help um, but care about, uh, about it when somebody is so passionate. And in a medium like a podcast, uh, that storytelling, that passion is really important. It, it's not enough to just have facts and figures. It's not enough to just say, well, this piece of legislation will help X number of people. And those are all important. And uh, you know, I believe a lot in social scientific research, but so much of politics is about storytelling. Right. And it's, it's just a really crucial piece of it. And so, you know, nobody, nobody has to listen to two broads talking politics, right? I mean, that's just, it's a thing that they choose to do with their time and they're not going to choose to do it with their time if it's not compelling and interesting. And so those uh, compelling, interesting stories, that passion that you can hear from people is what keeps people listening and then motivates them to do the work for the candidate or to donate their money, you know? So it's a, it's a really important uh, and I think often overlooked piece of the, the political landscape. So do you think hearing voices, hearing those stories in an emotional way helps connect with um, listeners more? Yeah, I absolutely do. And it, it helps connect uh, me. I mean, there have been people that maybe on paper I've looked and go, oh, I don't know if this candidate is that interesting. Like, okay, well, we'll see. Uh, and then you talk to them and you're just blown away. Uh, so one person, for instance, is um, Beto O'Rourke, who is a former congressman. He ran for Senate in Texas, briefly ran for president. You know, and I, I spent a lot of time going, oh, I mean, he's, he's interesting, whatever. I don't really get what people think is so important about Beto. Uh, and then we interviewed him. He's doing this powered by people thing in Texas. And uh, it's all about grassroots organizing and uh, winning the state legislature in Texas. Uh, and Sophie and I interviewed him and walked away and we were just like, we will do anything Beto O'Rourke asks. He was just so, it's just such a, a magnetic personality and you, you get really, uh, you want to help them with their vision. And mm -hmm. Stacey Abrams is very much the same way in Georgia. I've heard her speak a couple times. I have not yet had the pleasure to interview her, but I, I have heard her speak and 
uh, listen to her audiobooks and uh, and she's the same kind of thing you're just so drawn in that you just immediately want to do and so it has to be coupled right it can't just be if it's a magnetic personality and they don't have something behind it then that's not good that, that's how cults form but you know if it's a magnetic personality and they have a really good plan for how this particular thing is going to work and they need people behind them to make it work and grassroots organizing then it's just this really electric combination so in another episode you talk with barbara lee amazing barbara lee i've heard a lot about her um with my interview with um ashanti this morning so um she's from the california 13th district um and you spoke with her about Char shirley uh chislam's you know how how she convinced her to get into politics kamala harris's masterful debate performance um here here in the uk we were just watching it like <laughs> and what progressives can look forward to in the Biden-Harris administration. So what are your expectations for your female listeners after hearing an episode about women in positions of political power? Yeah, uh, so I love Barbara Lee. <laughs> She's <laughs> just wonderful. Again, someone I've heard speak in person, uh, had heard her speak before I, I interviewed her and uh, I had been working some with the uh, the Biden team uh, when Biden in the run up to the Biden election, and uh, there was a, a Women for Biden group that was you know sort of getting some of his surrogates, and you know that's how I got connected with uh, Deb Holland the second time. And I remember they had said like, well, is there anyone else you want to talk to? And I was like, Barbara Lee, please let me talk to Barbara <laughs> Lee. Uh, so that was a, a super important one for me. Um, yeah, I think that. Uh, it is so inspirational to hear someone like uh, Representative Lee that she uh, she is a person who has the courage of her convictions. So one of the most notable things in her very long and notable career uh, is that she was the only U.S. representative to vote against authorizing the Iraq War mm -hmm. in 2001, 2002, whenever that happened. Uh, yeah. And it was clearly the, the view of history is that that was the right thing to do but it was incredibly hard for her in the moment she got death threats you know it was just it was not a thing uh, that was easily done but hearing her and hearing her talk about knowing that that was exactly the right thing to do and doing it and you know having that courage and yet she's also just such a warm friendly person you know mm -hmm. like it would be easy for someone like that to sort of uh, you know, maybe have an edge to their voice and be like, I knew better than everyone else. And she is just warm, uh, engaging, magnetic, compassionate. And uh, I, I think that shows you something about both the sort of uh, personal uh, conviction that you need to have to be a good representative of the people, uh, but also the personality type that our, uh, our political system here uh, really means that, you know, there are people like uh, Hillary Clinton who can be very, very good politicians and can have the great ideas and stuff, mm -hmm. but they just, people don't feel warm and fuzzy around them. And so, right. you know, ultimately they don't win. They can't lead movements as well. Uh, but someone like Barbara Lee, you both uh, care a lot about what she has to say and respect her position and feel warm and fuzzy around her. And that I think is a, uh, is something that's important uh, to to see if you want to succeed in politics in this country 
whether or not it should be that way is a whole different conversation, of course, but it is that way. And so understanding that and seeing examples of that, mm -hmm. uh, especially for women, especially for women of color, uh, I think is really important because there there is just a certain piece to that, to how you get elected. So for your expectations, um, for your female listeners, what are your hopes, you know, after they hear a conversation like that? I mean, it must be so in inspiring. Um, so what are your expectations for your listeners? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, part of it, uh, we had a really strong push um, that people, I think a lot of our listeners were probably disappointed that Joe Biden was the nominee for president. Uh, you okay. know, we, uh, in the lead up to, you know, in the, in the primary, um, you know, I would guess that a lot of our listeners were bigger fans of Elizabeth Warren, maybe Kamala Harris, Amy Klobuchar, you know, women candidates. Um, but also, uh, our listenership tends toward fairly progressive. Uh, we, we talk to a lot of progressive candidates and about progressive causes. And so I think that Joe Biden was probably not the, the candidate that they most would have wanted to see. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we really wanted to highlight in that run up to the election was that, uh, you know, we never interviewed Joe Biden, but, <laughs> but that for these women that we were talking to, the election of Joe Biden was absolutely paramount, mm -hmm. that we needed our listeners to get fully on board uh, to get really invested and to work hard for this, to, to fight for this, and that that was the thing that we as women, as um, political people in this country really needed to do, and that people like uh, Barbara Lee, people like Deb Holland, that they, women of color, who are so important to Democrats winning in this country, were telling us this is crucial and this is crucial to the people I represent and this is crucial to the policies that I want to see enacted. And so you, our listeners, uh, do everything you can to, to fight for this. Right, yeah. So you wanted your listeners to hear that sort of, that passion and that like net need. It's like a desperate, desperate need to, to vote for vote for Biden because yeah. the people that you're in you're interviewing mm -hmm. they were like giving you the green light basically I think yeah. it's so important if you if you already believe in you know if you see oh my gosh I've been a fan of Barbara Lee for years and you see that your pod the podcast that you're listening to you know about politics and things is talking with her you're more likely to to listen to that conversation and sort of run with whatever they tell not tell you to do but kind of their perspectives i guess so yeah and you know to to be clear i our listeners were going to vote for biden no matter what like the, there's no question in my mind that they're all people who vote in every election mm -hmm. uh, and they certainly weren't going to vote for trump but um but it's not just about voting no. right like there's so much more that we need to do uh, to get people elected who can really help people who maybe don't vote every time mm -hmm. uh, because they feel like the system has let them down and we need to use our privilege uh, to make sure that we are doing everything possible uh, and so that's where you know they were going to vote anyway but if mm -hmm. Barbara Lee and Deb Holland tell you you need to not just vote, but you need to get out there and register voters. You need to drive people to the polls. You need to make phone calls. Then you're more likely to do it. 
So I was listening to an episode um, of the podcast today and I've noticed in a number of episodes, including um, including that one, so I can't, there was one episode today, basically you talk about Act Blue. Um, hmm. So for our listeners, can you tell us what Act Blue does and how it can potentially encourage more of your listeners to participate politically during elections? So uh, Act Blue is... Uh it's a, I'm not even sure if it's a, a company or a nonprofit or an organization, but it's a, a, it's the only democratic candidates and organizations uh, can use it to collect money. Uh, and so a lot of, um, a lot of candidates, uh, most democratic candidates, in fact, uh, do all of their donations uh, through Act Blue. Uh, and that way, you know that you are going to a, a trusted source that everyone is using, and that you know the, you're not worried that you're like sending your money off into the ether, and, and who knows where it's going. Uh, and a lot of organizations will use uh, Act Blue to also raise money, not just for the organization, but maybe to raise money for a bunch of different candidates. So I could say like, here's a slate of candidates who have all been on our show who we think are really important, uh, valuable to flip the Senate or something and could put together a, a page where you can like donate once and it goes to all these different people. Uh, so it's a, a really valuable resource uh, that uh, is only on the, the left and the right has been trying to, to replicate uh, for a while. So um, isn't Act Blue also sort of for smaller donors and sort of highlighting the importance of not just the big donors that, you know, can can donate lots and lots of money, um, but also for the, the, the smaller donors and probably quite a lot of the people listening who um, maybe can't afford to give a lot, but at least start putting aside something for their future, right? Yeah, and you can do things like recurring donations. So, you know, you'll say like $3 a month or something. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the candidates we talk to, especially the candidates who are running down ballot, running for, you know, like school board or city council or state legislature, some of those races are not terribly expensive to run. And so those small dollar donations really do go very far. It was really um, Barack Obama running for president in 2008 who kind of flipped the whole script from you know, needing a few really big donors to getting just tons and tons and tons of small dollar donors mm -hmm. around the country. Um, and now that's a lot more common, but Obama was the first person to do it in a really big way. Uh, and it changes things and it's, it's good for democracy, I think. You know, there are campaign finance rules uh, in federal elections. There are limits to the amount of money that any one person can give directly to the candidate. And then there's all sorts of workarounds. Um, but in some elections, there are no real limits. So in a in a mayoral race in Chicago, for instance, an individual could give a million dollars directly to the candidate if they wanted. And so, you know, that to me is not good for democracy, that a single person can be so influential. And it is much better to have these things. Ideally, we'd have completely public campaign finance. But uh, in the interim, until we get something like that, having small dollar donors can make a big difference. Because I was reading um, and I was listening actually to a podcast episode. This is sort of last year, early last year. That's what inspired me to, to go back and do my master's really. Um, so there was a lot of big donors 
um, kind of donating to Trump's administration because they wanted certain things. I mean, they had a checklist of things that they wanted to push through. And after that, after he won and they weren't getting pushed through and just kind of just forgotten about, they were really angry. And I think some of them actually switched over to the Democratic side and started supporting them in different ways. Um, I don't know if you hear much of that or if that's just a random thing that I've found on the internet. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, I, you know, I don't know about the individual donors, but mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's a big thing in American politics. Money is hugely influential, hugely, hugely influential. And it is absolutely the case that really big donors feel that they can get something for their money, that they can mm. get, you know, judges nominated that they want or legislation passed or not passed that they think is mm. important. Uh, and it shouldn't be that way, right? Like that is not what is supposed to be happening in a representative democracy. Um, yeah. But nonetheless, it is absolutely what happens. And it's a, a major problem, probably the major problem in our politics. So do you think your podcast makes listeners more likely to participate politically? Uh, and if so, what about your podcast is that? Uh, I hope so. I hope that it does. <laughs> um, I think that one thing we always try to do uh, is really, really important to me uh, is to focus focus on action items. So I don't want to just get people mad. It's very, very easy. <laughs> uh, if you spend any time on politics, Twitter, you know, everybody is just mad all the time. That is a yeah. very easy thing to do. And there, it's there's so much to be mad and scared about uh, right. at any given moment, including right now. It's not like things are completely better or anything. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, that's not a very useful emotion. If mm -hmm. you're just mad, that doesn't do anything. I want you to be, if you are mad or sad or scared or happy or whatever you're feeling, know how to channel that, know what mm. to do with that. Yeah. And so that is the piece that I hope has been valuable for listeners is that even if it's just, here's a place to give your money, whatever it is, there needs to be something, some outlet, some, you know, here's a, a place you can write postcards. Here's a campaign you can volunteer for. Here is a, you know, Senate line to call, whatever it is that, that they can do something with that emotion that will have an impact. Yeah, definitely. I think there's a way to use your time and your money and everything you have well. I think is the correct yeah it's, it's the right yeah. word really and i think listening to podcasts i think is a good way to listen to perspectives emotions um listen to people who are interested in 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 conversations with people who can really help them mm -hmm. and um yeah so do you think that it's one of your aims of the podcast to sort of raise female political participation or just political participation, gosh, can I speak? political participation in general, because, you know, I think voting for women and the right women who are for women. Um, do you think that's one of the aims of the podcast? Yeah, I'd say raising participation, but also directing participation. Uh -huh. So helping people figure out what are the outlets? How can I help? Yeah, uh, is is really important. So with world issues like climate change on the rise, tackling women's representation in US politics is, according to UN Women, 
the key to achieving the sustainable development goals um, by 2030. Why is female political participation important in gaining more women in politics? And how do you think women hosted podcasts like yours encourage that? So I think that uh, it is clear in the research that uh, women, I mean, first of all, we should just have equal representation, you know, in, in all sorts of ways, um, but that women in, uh, in political power are more likely to focus on collaboration, are more likely to focus on problem solving, and that these are going to be absolutely crucial to things like solving climate change. Um, and at least in this country in America, and I think it's it's true in a lot of countries, we have a pretty broken political system right now. A lot of, you know, Congress just fights instead of solving problems. Uh, and the more women you can get into those positions, the more likely it is that they're going to find ways to work together. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be so important. And they're going to do that from the perspective of people who have been historically marginalized, mm -hmm. uh, which includes women, but you know, very much also includes people of color, includes people with disabilities, uh, includes people uh, all along the, the sexual spectrum, you know, and all of those things are so important and so crucial. Like climate change isn't just about climate. Right. It's a, a matter of justice. And mm -hmm. how do we solve the climate issue? And how do we do it in a way that is equitable? And, uh, you know, so all of those things are important. And I think women, uh, in general, and especially progressive women are more likely to think about and look at those issues. Uh, and so, yes, I think that that is, um, it's a, a major aim of our podcast. Uh, and I, I do think that uh, not just ours, but a whole series of podcasts, which uh, are often very collaborative. A lot of the the different podcasts we work together and we do events together and mm -hmm. uh, and that I think working together, uh, we do have the ability to at least uh, move the conversation forward and mm -hmm. hopefully elect more women. Great. So thank you again for answering all my questions and allowing me to speak to you. Um, I feel honestly honored from today's experience from talking to um, Ashanti and yourself. And, and I love that you know each other as well. <laughs> so I like, I'd like to end this fantastic conversation um, with one last final question. Um, what advice do you have for women wanting to start their own political podcast? So I, I think that uh, one thing I have seen a lot in, uh, in the podcast world is people overthinking what they're doing mm -hmm. and spending just a ton of time planning and organizing and, you know, spending a year thinking about getting ready. Uh, that is not what we did. We, we had an idea and within like a week we were, you know, on the air and things have changed dramatically over time. Uh, I think the name of the podcast is essentially the only thing that stayed the same. The format, we didn't interview people at first. The format has changed. The theme song has changed. The logo has changed. Uh, the kinds of people we talk to have changed uh, a lot. Uh, we went from, you know, the only guests were like people we knew to, you know, reaching out to total strangers who were running for president and saying, hey, you want to come on the podcast? So, <laughs> you know, I think that there is a certain value in just doing. And so that is, a, I think, a big part of my advice is to just 
start. And <laughs> if you can figure things out along the way uh, and that, you know, no one is going to do it perfectly and yeah. that's okay. Uh, and so you just sort of keep going. You know, I, I mentioned I have la launched this uh, second podcast that's about American history. And uh, it was amazing to me how much I knew, how, how much I could just sort of like use everything I have learned in three and a half years of podcasting. And and I, I didn't have to think a whole lot. I could just sort of jump into it and go and, you know, get it right the first time. Um, but it also doesn't matter. I mean, one thing that is extremely different between politics podcasts and nearly all other podcasts, including certainly history, is that politics podcast episodes tend to be out of date very quickly. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I can't really refer someone back to, oh, this podcast episode I did two <laughs> years ago, because like the whole world is different since then. Uh -huh. What that person was running for is different. And so, you know, it doesn't matter if we change over time. It's easy to be iterative and just sort of keep moving forward because it's all going to be out of date soon anyway, and they can just listen to the most recent episodes. So... That is my advice is just go for it. <laughs> you and Ashanti said the exact same thing. <laughs> I'm going to ask this question through all of my interviews and I'm going to see if everyone just says the same thing. And then at the end, I'm going to be like, so just do it. Thankful <laughs> <laughs> again to, to, to speak with you today. Um, yeah, and I've really enjoyed speaking with you. <laughs> yeah, you too. Well, I will let you go on with your day. Thank you so much, Kelly. Sure, yeah, thank you and good luck. Thank you very much. Bye bye. <laughs> bye. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed what you heard, please do remember to share the episode link with your friends and family and on your social media stories. Join me next time when I speak with Rebecca from the Vote Her In podcast. Bye.